back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. So the pro-life community kind of finds themselves on their heels. In fact, I think that's generous. On their backs after just kind of losing these ballot initiatives over and over and over again at the state level. It's a complicated combination of the fact that pro-abortion groups like Planned Parenthood just pouring tons of money. I mean, a lot of money because abortion is a business to them. You have to understand that. So they have a lot more money to spend. So the pro-life community is just kind of outspent in these races. You have the cultural challenges, the fact that we've had a sexual revolution for the last 60 years that have allowed people to use abortion as birth control um, to, to kind of live that lifestyle. So all of this is kind of combined in the fact that the pro-life community is losing ballot initiatives, it seems like, over and over and over again. If they're pro-life ballot initiatives, we lose. If they're pro-abortion ballot initiatives, we lose. So what is the pro-life community to do? I'm talking with Nicole Hunt, writer and spokesperson for Focus on the Family's Daily Citizen. Nicole, what do we do? What do we do moving forward? Well, see, the first thing I think we've got to talk about is funding, because funding continues to be a major problem for the pro-life movement. Pro-life groups have been outraised and outspent by the abortion establishment in all seven ballot elections, ballot measure elections. And, And what we've noticed is that obviously money isn't everything, but when it comes to an election, money is what gives access to voters. And more money means that there's more time communicating a narrative to the electorate. So in uh, Michigan last year, the spending difference between the abortion lobby and pro-life groups was more than $26 million. That's how much more the abortion lobby raised than we did. Now, this year, as of the latest reports, which came in about mid-October, the, fund, the difference in funding was only about $12 million. Now, $12 million is still a lot of money. But what we're talking about is as of October, the pro-abort side had already spent nearly $42 million, while the pro-life side had spent almost or had raised almost um, $30 million. So this, this funding deficit is a major issue. And I think we have to keep in mind that Despite the fact that we did a better job in Ohio, we still lost a 14-point margin in Ohio, just like we did in Michigan. So I think what we have to come to terms with is that raising money to defeat abortion amendments is absolutely necessary. Because if we don't raise the money, these amendments will win by even more. But raising money to defeat these amendments does not change culture. And we have a culture problem. A majority of Americans say that they want restrictions on abortion, but when they get to the ballot box, they're voting for unrestricted abortion. So as a movement, as a pro-life movement, we have got to get serious about investing in culture so that we are literally changing hearts and minds on abortion. That has to be the priority if the pro-life movement wants to see more pro-life laws. Best way to change culture, have lots of kids. Demographics is destiny. You got to have a lot of babies. All right. So I'm going to ask you a a, a common argument made on the conservative side. You pro-lifers, you can't win in this culture right now. And you're going to drag down Republicans on elections. We have a presidential election coming up 
Let's just drop the social issues and focus in on economic issues, limited government, constitutional rights, those types of stuff. Why do we have to continue to fight for the sanctity of life? Nicole Hunt. I mean, we fight for the sanctity of human life because there are women and families and babies who are being victimized by these constitutional amendments. And the point of the pro-life movement is to help these women, to defend the innocent, to promote life over death. A culture of life is better than a culture of death. And ultimately, this is about overcoming social evils. You know, Wil- William Wilberforce had the, uh, the calling to overcome and to be a part of overcoming the social evil of slavery. He worked to that end. It took nearly 50 years for the law, for culture and the law to change. But it happened. And I think here in America, just because it's not popular doesn't mean it's a wrong position to take. Here in America, we have to be willing. It took 50 years for the legal mess of Roe v. Wade to be corrected. But praise God, it was. And it will take time to reform our culture. But it is absolutely possible. And we cannot walk away from that responsibility. I think in our efforts to reform culture, you have to be invested in serving Pregnancy Resource Centers, Crisis Pregnancy Centers, these organizations that exist as alternatives to Planned Parenthood. Because if you walk into a Planned Parenthood, they sell in you one option and one option only, and that's the death of your child because they make money. They are not at all interested in adoption or encouraging the mom to keep the child, providing services to the mom to be able to keep the child. And so all these Christians are rising up, and I've always kind of seen it as the Underground Railroad. Like, we are going to have to work grassroots level to save and protect life. And so these crisis pregnancy centers encourage alternatives to abortion. So if a woman walks in, she's not sure what to do with the child, the unplanned pregnancy. Well, they'll oftentimes raise money to go and help that family facing that crisis. So they'll, they'll provide diapers, they'll provide cribs, they'll provide clothes, all that stuff. We know great friends like Christine Jurgen that provide that direct on-the-ground services, but then they'll also provide adoption services. So if the child's not meant to be raised in your family, they can go to another family that is very excited about the potential of adding to their family. So there are so many alternatives out here. And I think part of the cultural change is you've got to change that mindset. There are alternative options than terminating the child. So that type Mm -hmm. of on-the-ground grassroots support. Nicole, you've worked with groups like Alternatives Crisis Pregnancy Center to be a counselor to women facing a crisis pregnancy and get them kind of on the process of finding an alternative to abortion. Why are these crisis pregnancy centers so important in this battle? Yeah, I mean, pregnancy resource centers, they step into a gap that, um, that women and families need. I, I've, I was a helpline volunteer for many, many years. And, you know, one of the things, I mean, we, we, we help to set up appointments for, STI, for STD testing, for um, resources. Women calling in saying, um, I'm pregnant. I think I want to have this baby, but I need help. I I need more resources. Can you please help me? And yes, we connected them with resources. This is the future of the pro-life movement. It is reaching out. It is stepping into the gap with women, with their families, with their children. It's walking with them before they have their babies and after they have their babies, because that is pro-life. That is the ultimate pro-life act is to walk alongside a mother and to be community and to be available and to be willing to help. And so that's what the future of the pro-life movement is. I'm excited about that, 
that being where we're headed. And the truth is, is that that scares the abortion lobby because it is a message of empowerment and of love. It is the exact opposite messaging of the abortion industry, which is about death and despair. And so I think as the pro-life movement continues to try to fight these ballot measures, on the one hand, like Nehemiah building the wall, building the wall with one hand and a sword in the other, um, we've got to be lifting up the uh, pregnancy resource centers. We've got to be reaching out and serving women while we're also fighting against these attacks by the abortion lobby to try to legalize unrestricted abortion all across America. Does it have to be all in on the pro-life side in the sense of uh, we're only going to support bills that embrace the sanctity of life at the moment of conception, or is it okay to be an incrementalist? I, I definitely think it's okay to be an incrementalist. And the truth is, is that every state in America isn't at the same pro-life place. And so there are certain things that we can pass in Texas that won't pass in Massachusetts. But should we be moving toward the ultimate um, goal of being a pro-life, life-affirming country? Absolutely. Any step in that direction is the right step. So we should be open to, you know, really encouraging each other in any advancement that we can make in each one of our states. Now, obviously, if something's done at the federal level, that's something different altogether. Or if the, if the United States Supreme Court were to find that the, uh, the right to life is a part of our U.S. Constitution, that would trump everything. But for now, this is a state-by-state battle, and we need to be embracing any win that we can get wherever we can get it. So don't be discouraged after Ohio. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I think we really need to keep in mind that um, for looking ahead, we're expecting to see at least six, possibly more states voting on pro-abortion amendments next year. And some of those states include Arkansas, Missouri, South Dakota, Nebraska, Arizona, and Florida. So what I would encourage is that um, pro-life lawmakers in those states, you need to be working right now to tighten up the procedures by which uh, you can amend the state constitution in your state. Uh, For instance, in Ohio, there was an effort to try to heighten the threshold of passage from a majority vote to 60%. It did not pass. But if that effort had passed, then this abortion amendment would have failed. So I think that's an option. I think other options might be requiring more signatures for more of the voting electorate or um, requiring that more signatures be collected from more counties. Uh, Another option would be considering residency requirements for signature gatherers um, and even, you know, requiring badges that be worn by the signature gatherers saying whether or not they're paid or they're a volunteer. These are all things that are pragmatic and practical, but these are things that put at least a slight hand up to say, we're not just going to allow some out-of-state abortion interests to come in here and push their agenda on the people of this state without the people of this state having the right to be able to uh, engage in the process more fully. And so these are things that pro-life lawmakers should be considering about whether or not they would like to do in their state. We're talking with Nicole Hunt, writer and spokesperson for Focus on the Family's Daily Citizen. As you may recognize her last name, Yes, she is my wife. And as I said, we're going to have a little My Cousin Vinny interaction here. As Joe Pesci Pesci finished, he said, thank you, Miss Hunt. No more questions. Thank you very, very much. You've been a lovely, lovely witness. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friends, this is the Frontier Freedom Hour. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. God bless you and yeehaw.